We'll be reading from Psalm 111. There are Bibles on the back table with a marker um, in them if you would like to use those. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. I wonder if you've ever seen those uh, videos online. It's very easy, all those shorts that come up in our apps these days. Um, but I wonder if you've seen any of these videos that are just super satisfying to look at. People who are just experts at what they do. Uh, usually it's they're someone who's artistic or just super, super efficient. And they're just really, really great at their work and what they do. Actually, I've got a few of those now, so let's watch some of them. better stop there, otherwise we'll be here all day. <laughs> but uh, isn't it just amazing what people can do? Um, it's just so great and mesmerizing, and uh, we can just admire what they do and waste many hours watching them. <laughs> you might even get a sense of awe or wonder from them, maybe even thinking whether you could do something like that. We could praise these people for what uh, the perfected art that they've uh, perfected. Um, the works of these people are great and awesome, and the works of the Lord are awesome and great as well. And that's what the psalm today that we'll be looking at is about. Great are the works of the Lord. So let me pray. Dear Father, thank you for your word and your truth that you've given to us. Thank you that we can study it uh, every day and learn more of who you are. Please show us today how great and awesome you are, that we would desire to live in obedience to you based on what you've taught us. Amen. 
Great are the works of the Lord. We see that many times throughout this psalm, how good the, work, the Lord is at what he does. The Lord is at work in this world, and the psalmist takes time to make note and remembers of all that God has done. We'll talk more specifically later about what the Lord is doing, but there's many descriptions here about what type of work uh, his work is like. There are seven different words to describe his work. His work is great, glorious, majestic, wondrous, faithful, just, and upright. We also get this sense that he's, what his work is is ongoing and good. In verse 3 it says, Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. Going back to those videos before, what the Lord does is even greater. He's the one who's made this world and created everything in it. He even creates what's necessary for those people to do all of those things. How great are the works of the Lord. And what he does is memorable and not forgotten. In verse 4 and 5, he has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. The Lord is loyal to his people and gives them and provides for them all their needs. What he has promised in his covenant, he can be relied on and trusted. He will always remember what he has said and he will do it. And based on some of those statements, I think we can allude to the covenant that's given to the Israelites, which is what the psalmist is reflecting on. In the Mosaic covenant, God promised to deliver the nation of Israel if they continue to obey God and keep themselves separate from the other nations. Verse 4 connects with how the Lord fed them in the wilderness. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Verse 6 alludes to the promised land that uh, was given to them. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. And verse 9 shows how God redeemed Egypt, Israel from Egypt and continued to give, keep them safe. He provided redemption for his people. The psalmist is reflecting back on how God has proved himself time and time again through the work he has done. And this leads him to praise. And I think this psalm also encourages us to think, ponder on the works that God has done in our lives. There are many times in my life that I can think of and reflect over a period of time where God has seen, has aligned all these things together for his greater good. I reckon you can think of times in your own life where God has done the same, whereas he's shown you his power and faithfulness. Maybe during that time it was something, there was something you were waiting for and it took longer than expected, or perhaps he was, uh, you were thinking of something that you wanted, but he's actually not giving it to you because he's got greater things in store for you. During these times, what is God teaching you or showing you? In your life, how has God provided or redeemed you through this? And during these times, has God shown you how glorious and majestic he is, how holy and awesome his name is? When he brought you to a faith and an understanding of Jesus, which then led you to dedicate your whole life to him, how great was the Lord's work in that? Surely the Lord's work is so great that we see his amazing character and led to praise him as the psalmist does. 
Surely to him belongs all eternal praise. And furthermore than just praising God, we are encouraged to study his works and fear him. As Graham uh, talked about earlier, uh, you would have noticed that last verse, which is actually a quote from the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. In Proverbs, this is often the go-to verse to summarize the whole book, meaning that if we want to be wise, we need to study God. We need to learn his ways. We need to observe his great works. We need to know his character. We need to know God himself. And we also need to fear him. If we fear someone, we're usually in a position under them, particularly if we're afraid of them. But a holy fear that's being talked about here also means that we want to submit and recognize his absolute power and perfection. And that's okay because we know God is good and that he'll use his power for good. We've already seen this come up in the psalm already, in verse 7 and 8. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He is a faithful God whose character has never changed and will never change, even past eternity. He is our God, creator of heaven and earth, almighty ruler of all. And there's no doubt why scientists are so intrigued to study this world and the imprint that the Lord has left on it. I think if we know God, then we'll want to know him. Just having a taste of his greatness should lead us to study him even more. The following line in verse 10 then states, all who follow his precepts have good understanding. If God is good, then what we learn of him will also be good. And putting that into practice, we get to live a good life. Actually, that's what the whole of the following psalm is about, how to live a good life. So let's have a look at it. So I guess today you're going to get a bonus psalm, two sermons in one. So let's read that together. So if you want to turn to Psalm 112, and we'll read that. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who great, find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken, and they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness and endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honour. The wicked see and are vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. You've probably got an initial sense that these two psalms are tightly connected together. And there's a significant reason why there's one after the other. Before we unpack this a little further, 
get your thinking caps on, because we've been talking about studying God's Word, so let's do some of that now. How about you have a go uh, with the person next to you and try and answer these two questions about the two Psalms. If we get there. The thing doesn't seem to be working. The two questions are, uh, what connections do you see between these two Psalms? And once you worked out some of those, what does that say about how we can live the good life? So I'll give you a minute to chat to the person next to you. I know that's not much time, but we'll um, move on. For those who are analytical thinkers, you might have noticed that both of these psalms have 10 verses in it, and that's no coincidence at all. And for those maybe who are a bit more creative and uh, visual, you might have seen the same kind of shape and flow through it. Let's put those two side by side. So there's 111 and 112. You can see... The, the structure is very, very similar, isn't it? And if we ever look a bit closer at verse 3 of both of them, <laughs> my IT degree is helpful for something, I guess. Um, so verse 3, uh, we see uh, uh, in 111, it says, Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. And in 112, Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness, righteousness endures forever. There's that same phrase, that their righteousness endures forever for the person who fears the Lord. So if we go to verse 4, uh, he has caused his wonders to be remembered, and the Lord is gracious and compassionate. And then 112, even in the darkest light, dawns the upright for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Again, this idea of being gracious and compassionate is the thing that links the two together. If we go to verse 8, uh, it's not exactly the same words, but there's a similar idea here. They are established forever, and in 112, their hearts are secure, they will have no fear. The same idea, established and secure, uh, you know, firm and uh, rock solid. In verse 9, again, we see a lot more connections. He provided redemption for his people, and the same idea, 
uh, is also there, of freely, that the person who fears the Lord uh, is redeeming those who give to the poor. Uh, they give to the poor and are redeeming the poor. Um, and that they will endure forever, and then they will be recognized and be lifted up. And there's probably, a, there's lots of other connections you might have noticed before as well. Um, as you did that, I hope you started to conclude that um, in order for us to live the good life, we need to, and become like the person of 112, we need to know the God of Psalm 111. And yeah, so we, we need to read both of these Psalms together in order for us to know God and live for him. Uh, and God, the God of 111 uh, that's the person being talked about there. This is not to say that uh, we are to become like gods, as Mormons would believe, but himself encourages us to watch him closely to his character and his deeds and to imitate him. Verse 10 of Psalm 111 is connecting the following verses uh, between the two Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. This is what connects the two together. God encourages us to learn from him and imitate him. This was to put in place right from the beginning of the world. And when God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So God creates us to imitate him. That's part of our life's purpose, to glorify him. If we know God, we'll want to know God even more. To know him so we can imitate him in this world. And we can also know him through the person of Jesus. So it helps us to identify how Jesus fulfills this psalm. He's the physical image of God, God in flesh. And so we can also say, Great is the works of Jesus. What Jesus does is glorious and majestic. The wonders of the atonement made at the cross continue to be remembered today. He provides for those who fear him and remembers his covenant. All the precepts and teachings of Jesus are trustworthy and established forever. He has redeemed his people and made a way for us to say, holy and awesome is his name forever. To him belongs eternal praise. To the Lord our God, this is who he is. The greatest worker in existence, who works with perfect faithfulness and uprightness. Even greater than the greatest businessman or the most skilled trade worker. Each day he lifts the sun into the sky and cares for all of his creation. This is our God and he invites us to learn from him the greatest teacher of all time. I wonder this year in 2024, as we reset the year, if you are going to enroll in school. Now I'm not just talking to those who are in primary school or high school or doing some other education. I'm talking to even the adults here who have long passed their school days. This year, are you going to enroll in the school of God? Now can I tell you, it's the best school you can ever go to. The education is free, and there's still so many vacancies. There's only one textbook. It's called the Bible. 
It's available in print and digital form, and I even hear there's audiobooks of it too. And there's many different ways you can study it. There's lecture-style sermons, small group Bible studies and discussion groups. You can even have consultation in one-to-one -one in a mentorship. You can even do so much individual study as well. And you don't have to be intellectually minded. It can also work for you as well. There are many ways to adapt how we learn the Bible the best way that you learn. So this year, are you going to enroll in the School of God? Do you have a plan to study theology? That is to study God, theology. R.C. Sproul wrote a book called Everyone's a Theologian, and I think he's right. He says this, no Christian can avoid theology. Every Christian is a theologian, perhaps not a theologian in the technical or professional sense, but a theologian nevertheless. The issue for Christians is not whether they're going to be theologians, but whether they're going to be good theologians or bad ones. He also says that the purpose of theology is not to tickle our intellects, but to instruct us in the ways of God so that we can grow up into maturity and fullness of obedience to him. That is why we engage in theology. As Christians, we need to study theology. If we want to become like the man of 112, we need to, who fears the Lord, we greatly and greatly delights in his commandments, then we need to have a plan to do so. If we want to live the good life, the best life, we need to live in obedience to the Lord. And the only way we will know him is if we study his word in the Bible. So what's your plan for doing that this year? Well, can I encourage you to start that you come to church every single week this year, if you can. Sometimes that can be a difficult task in the morning, but can I tell you there's a great danger if you don't do that. I wonder if you knew that people who think they come to church, they only think they come 17% more than they actually do, at least in Sydney. That's a bit scary. So if you think you come to church eight out of ten times, what that probably means is you're only coming 67% of the time. If you want to grow as a Christian, I don't think you can expect that to happen if you're only coming to church 67% of the time. This year, can I also encourage you to think about joining a growth group? Growth groups are another opportunity for you to grow in your knowledge of God with other people. It's a safe place in a small community to study the works of God at a pace that everyone can engage with. For some of us, we might not discuss the truths of God that often enough, and so this is a great platform to be able to do that regularly. This year, can I also encourage you to read the, your, your Bible on a daily basis? Maybe, maybe you've never actually read the whole Bible before. And I know it's a big book, but we need to read it. And a little bit at a time, each day, you can easily get through it in a year or two. Maybe you have read the Bible before, but it's been a while since you've picked it up on a regular basis. What's stopping you from reading it again? This time, why not try a different translation? Currently, I'm going through the ESV, and that has been super helpful, getting me to stop and think, because I've been growing up on the NOV so much. These are three things you can do. And just imagine what would happen if you did all of that this year. What kind of person would you be like if you soaked yourself in the Word of God through a multitude of different ways throughout the year?
Imagine if you came to church every Sunday, also attended a growth group during the week, was reading the Bible daily, six or seven days a week, and maybe catching up with someone else, perhaps on a monthly basis, to read the Bible with them. And why not let's try and plan to go to a Christian conference this year too? Imagine what your knowledge of God would be like and what your character would be like if you committed to doing all of those things this year. What a joy it would be to get to the end of the year and say your knowledge of God had increased immensely. Surely there can be no downsides to this. Okay, the worst thing that might happen is you become too holy, as if that's even possible. Also remember that if our God is so great and awesome, it's going to be a delight to do that, isn't it? If we know God, then we'll want to know him. This year, can I encourage you to enroll in the school of God and study him? And not just this year, but for the rest of your life. You won't regret it. Are you going to join me in that? Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful for your word. And as we engage with it on a frequent basis, that you use your truths, that are endless truths, uh, to teach us and to correct us in the ways that you want us to live for you. Lord, continue to grow our uh, desire to know you more, that our idea of who you are will continue to grow. And as we get a taste of who you are, may we want to study you more and more in a multitude of different ways. Lord, help us to be in, uh, admire you so much that we want to imitate you regularly on a daily basis, that we would want to grow and be more like Jesus, the perfect man, as the Son of God himself. Please help us by your Holy Spirit to do that. Uh, thank you that we aren't alone in doing these tasks ourselves, but we can ask the help of you to know you more. Help us to do that this year. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. Uh,